0: Well, good morning, we are in week four of a nine-week series through the book of Micah, and today we begin chapter four. So if you have your Bibles and you wanna follow along, go ahead and turn to Micah chapter four. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen also today. And if you remember, when we started this series about four weeks ago, week one, we, we kind of summarized this book. We said, you know, the book of Micah really is a, a, a picture of God's warning to his People to uh, about his coming judgment. It, it's about this side of God that, that we don't always like to think about or maybe talk about, but it really is a, it is one side of God as part of His nature, and it's the side of justice. It's the the side of discipline, as a, as a loving father would discipline his children. Uh, but but Mike is not just about that. that. that's part of the story. the The other part of the story and kind of what we're seeing as we get into chapters four and five and six, and we kind of move through the rest of the book. We. See see that our God is also a God that calls his children to repentance that in his mercy we see this God who is kind. And that kindness is meant to draw us back, to draw us back to his presence and into his goodness and to his grace and into his love. But the, the truth is, and what we've seen so far in the book of Micah, if God's people continue to walk in sin and they walk long enough in disobedience without repentance, like a good father, God will discipline his children. He will discipline them and call them back to himself. And, And last week in chapter three, we saw specifically that God's judgment came against Israel's leaders, both their national leaders and their religious leaders who were both corrupt. And so we see that judgment coming against the leaders of a nation. And that's why it's so important that we're praying for our leaders, our our national leaders, also our church leaders that we're constantly lifting them up in prayer that they would follow the one true voice, the voice of the living God. We also saw last week Micah prophesying of Israel's future defeat and exile. That was part of God's judgment that they would be in exile. The Babylonian empire would conquer them and and lead them away into exile, which came to pass. And as we come to chapter four today, we see a chapter that's kind of divided into two sections. Uh, Verses one through five are really some of the greatest passages in the Bible talking about the, the future reign of Jesus Christ, the coming Lord and his glory. And, uh, and so these are great passages in the first part of Micah. Uh, and then the second part of Micah chapter four, verses six through 13, are really kind of addressing uh, when Israel will be restored following their exile. So two two um, uh, parts of this, uh, this, this one chapter that we're going to look at. And, and, and so far, we've really been seeing from uh, Micah's declaration, the, the sight of the side of God that, that that's judgment and, and wrath. But we're kind of, as I said, we're kind of rounding this corner where we're going to be- begin to see that our God is also a God of mercy and a God of restoration. And so let's jump in. Micah chapter four, verses one and two. This is regarding the Lord's future reign. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so, a couple of things about this passage. The very beginning, this passage begins with with these words It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. Now, in the Hebrew, that phrase means it shall come to pass. It means it's a sure thing. It's going to happen. You can take this to the bank. These things shall come to pass. And what that means is whatever's happening in our world, whatever craziness is happening around us and whatever madness is happening to us, what is said in the word of the Lord shall come to pass. It will happen. And I talk a lot about what it means to have a biblical worldview. It's so important as believers in Christ that we have a biblical worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a lens by which they look through to try to understand and interpret what's going on in our world. But as for followers of Christ, our worldview should be a Christian or a biblical worldview. And what that means is, is that we view the world through the lens of God's perfect Word. It, it means that we we choose to see this world, and we choose to try to make sense of this world, not through our own wisdom, not through the wisdom of maybe our government or our leaders, but we look through the lens of God's Word. That's a biblical worldview and so when we view the bible as true and as authoritative and as the sole source of truth we can have this assurance we can even have a peace that even though this world seems out of control god is still in control why because the bible tells us he is and we're going to see that theme all the way through this passage that god is sovereign that he has a plan that his ways are higher than our ways and in the end he has the victory we're gonna see that all the way through, it's so clear. And so that's how we need to choose to see truth. And so if you're taking notes, the Bible does not just include words of truth, it is a very source of God's absolute and eternal truth. And so we come to a book like Micah. And, and, and you, know, you may be thinking, gosh, I've never even read through Micah. I didn't, even know, I didn't even know what Micah said, I didn't even know what the content was. But yet when we read it, it seems like it was written just for us today. Because there's so many things that were relevant, that are relevant for that time, that are relevant for us. And that's the beauty. And that's the power of God's word. That we can read it, what was written thousands of years ago. And it's as if it was written yesterday, just for us. Another important phrase in verse one is the phrase, in the latter days. Or some of your translations say in the last days. Now that, that could very well mean the, the last days before Christ returns, or the days when Christ returned. But it also could mean that, uh, and sometimes in scripture when we see in the last days, it means just a future time period, a future era, okay? And, and so those, those words are used kind of interchangeably, in the last days or in the latter days. And, and that's what we have to remember when we're studying eschatology. That means the, the study of the last days or the end times. We have to kind of hold on to some of these terms loosely. Because as Paul said right now, On this earth, we only see things dimly, as if looking through a foggy glass. But God sees everything in full. We don't see everything in full just yet. And so we can't really know the day or the time when the Lord is going to return. I, I get asked all the time as a pastor, do you think we're living in the end times? And I say, well, I think we're as close as we've ever been. And tomorrow we're gonna be even closer, right? There are just some things in God's word that we, can't know, we cannot know. Now, there's some things we can know for sure, that there's only one way to heaven. Nobody comes through the Father except through Jesus Christ. We know that for sure. But then there's some things that we just have to leave to the sovereignty of God. And so when Micah says in verses 1 and, and 2, he says, in these latter days, in those last days... It'll be a future time, and it'll be a time of peace and blessing. We know that there's going to be a time when God's truth will prevail. It says when people will flock to worship him, and a time when there'll be no more war. Now, in my opinion, this passage is pointing us to the days, to the reign of Jesus Christ, when he comes again as the Lord of lords and the King of kings, We can't pinpoint the date when that's going to happen. We we can't put a timestamp on this, but we know it's going to happen because guess what? The word of God said it shall come to pass. It will happen because the word of God said it would happen. And so we put our hope in that. We put our belief in that. Micah says there's coming a time in the future where people from all over the earth will come together to worship the one true living Lord, and he will teach his people his ways and they will follow his path. And that truth will come to pass because it says it in his word. Verses two, I'm sorry, uh, verses three and four, very hopeful passages for us as we look toward the future. So if you wanna just, I don't know, circle this, highlight it, just remember this. Great passage of scripture from the Old Testament about the future, the reigning Uh, the reign of our king. It says, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. Listen to this. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Wow. Now, most assuredly, this verse is pointing us to a, a period of time in the future, and in the days after Jesus' second coming, a time of peace. And the reason I believe that is because I still see a lot of people carrying around swords. I, I still see a lot of nations rising up against nations, Right, Uh, There's still a lot of fighting going on in our world, a lot of crime in our society and a lot of war in our nations. I I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't see too many people beating their swords into plowshares because there's just so much peace all around us. I I don't see that. We we don't see swords and and weapons being turned into artwork or sculptures or whatever it might be because we no longer need them. I just don't see that happening in our world Yet. So I believe that Micah is talking about a day yet to come when God brings universal peace through the second coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And on that day, we will have no need for swords. Can you imagine? No need for weapons. Nation will not rise against nation because the prince of peace will reign forever. By the way, I found out this week, pretty cool thing. There's a statue. Located outside the UN in New York City. That represents the verse we just read out of Micah 4. We're gonna put it up on the screen there for you. This is a statue of a man with a large hammer in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And guess what he's doing? He's hammering his sword into a plowshare. Now this statue was donated to the US in 1959 and it's supposed to represent what the UN is supposed to stand for, okay? To bring peace to the nations that are united as one. And on that statue is, is is a description from the book of Isaiah chapter two, verse four, which just happens to be the same verse we read in Micah four, three. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks Nation shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war any more. Isn't it cool that if we look throughout our nation, we will see markers of a time when our nation was built on these foundational principles of Christ and his word. Some prophecy, some foretelling. Maybe they've been forgotten or somehow lost. But they're there and they represent, they draw back to the truth of God's word. Here in the book of Micah, we see God saying to his people, You know, right now you are in a time of war. And, and in just a little bit, you're going to be led off to exile as a part of God's judgment against your disobedience. But look, God's plan is not for you to be in exile forever. God's plan is not for his people to be in war forever. Your God is a God of peace and he desires peace for his people. And one day in the last days, in the coming days, it shall come to pass, there will be a peace for all nations, all tribes, all tongues through Jesus Christ alone. So if you're taking notes, world peace is not found in the world at all. I hope you know that. It's only found in the person of Jesus Christ, that's it. That's how we'll ever experience true and lasting and eternal peace is through Jesus Christ. And then listen to verse five. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its gods. Notice little g. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God, capital G, forever and ever. What's Micah saying here? is saying, you know, Let all the other nations who desire to to walk with their false gods. Let all the other nations who, who want to pursue their false truths and let them consume their false desires. But you who are called by the living God, the one true living God, you will walk in the name of the Lord. That reminds me so much of another passage from the book of Joshua, one that you probably know, Joshua 24, 15. It says, and if if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua says, but for me and my people, we will serve the Lord. I love that, such a strong declaration. That reveals a very simple but very powerful truth. The way we walk in this world reveals the God, little G or big G, that we worship. The way we walk in this world reveals the God we worship. You can tell who a person worships by the way they walk in this world. Our walk becomes our witness. Our decisions determine our destination, and our steps actually become the story of who we serve and who we worship. Micah says For all other people in the world who walk in the name of false gods, let them walk but for you who belong to the one true living God, when you walk in this world, remember you walk in the name of the Lord forever and ever. It's such a reminder that our God is a covenant God, that he created for himself a people. And he said, you will be my people and I will be your God and you will walk with me forever. A covenant, in this passage, we are reminded that our God is a covenant God. And all those who have come under that covenant, the covenant that was made possible through Jesus Christ, all those who are in that new covenant, through Christ, walk with him. Not just today, not just on this earth, but we walk with the Lord forever. He is with us forever. In the beginning in verse six, we have this transition that points to God's restoration of the nation of Israel. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant. There's that important word that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off, a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, for you shall... If you shall, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. So, so what, what is Micah saying here? What, what he's saying is this. He's saying, I, I know that God's judgment is coming. It's been declared, God has said it through me, the prophet Micah, his judgment is coming. He says, I know you're going to be led off into exile. You're gonna be strangers in a strange land. But eventually, Micah says, the Lord is going to gather you back to himself. He's gonna gather a remnant or a portion. And remember a couple of weeks ago, we said whenever we see that word remnant, what we're seeing is a promise of restoration. Remnant leads to restoration. And that's what's happening here. That's the promise. God is promising to restore his people. And in this passage, we really get to see the full character, the, the, the fullness and the faithfulness of God. He is a loving father who desires to restore that which was lost. He wants to bless his people. He wants what's good for them. He wants to have his people walk with him forever and ever. That is the heart of God. And so here's a way that we can remember that. If you're taking notes, the heart of God is to transform our devastation into restoration. That's his heart. Sometimes we feel like things are just piling up against us, that things are just happening over and over, and it feels like there's devastation all around us. That's not the heart of God. Now, he uses those things for good, and we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But his desire for you is not devastation. His heart is restoration, If God's people walk long enough and they walk far enough in sin and disobedience without repentance, if they ignore his kindness, if they ignore his patience, eventually his judgment must come upon his children. And at that time, his judgment can feel heavy. It can feel devastating. God's justice issues a conviction, but it's his mercy that offers redemption, It's his mercy that offers restoration and that redemption and that hope for you and I today comes through grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. If if you're looking for restoration in anything in this world, if you're looking for salvation in anything else in this world, if you're looking for some kind of peace apart from Jesus Christ, you're never going to find that peace. It's only found in Jesus Christ. True restoration, meaning being restored to right relationship with the heavenly father. It only comes through Jesus Christ. That's the heart of our God, that he loved you so much that while you were a sinner, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not have devastation, would not perish, but would have restoration would be saved through the name of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, that's the gospel. Do you know that we can read any book of the Bible? And if we ask for the Holy Spirit's help and we look deep enough, we will find the gospel of Jesus Christ threaded through every book of the Bible. Here in the book of Micah, a book that you probably didn't even know existed or maybe you didn't know where to find in the Bible or maybe you've never read. Here in the book of Micah, we see a thread of the gospel, that crimson thread. That points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses nine and 10. Now why do you cry aloud, Micah asks. Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain sees you like a woman in labor? Rise and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be Rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Here the Lord says, you're about to go through some terrible times. You're about to cry aloud from your agony. There's going to be a time where you have no king, no counselors. It's going to be a time of great pain, like a woman who's who's in labor. You're going to be crying out, screaming out. And you will go to Babylon, a hostile place with hostile people. There you'll be in exile. You'll be a stranger. You'll be an outcast. But then God says, but it'll be there that you shall be rescued. There is where you, I love that. I got so excited when I read that this week. It's there in that place. That place and you're in your worst moment. That darkest place in your life. That place where you feel like you have kind of lost all hope that everything's against you, that you're in the midst of devastation. We see this beautiful promise that there when we cry out to God, he hears our cry and in the place of our greatest darkness comes the place of our greatest rescue. If you're taking notes, write that down. God can use our greatest defeat to become our greatest rescue. He can use the place of our greatest darkness to become the greatest place of rescue. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians. This is not on the screen, but you'll be familiar with this passage. He says, you're pressed, but guess what? You're not crushed. You're you're perplexed, sure, but you're not in despair. You're persecuted by those around you, but you're not forsaken. You're struck down, but you're not destroyed. Sometimes God takes us into the storm Some, sometimes God allows us to go into the storm because it's in the storm. That's the only way that we're going to be humbled. That's the only way that we're going to, uh, we're going to see and understand our sins and repent of our sins. And as Israel did, cry out to God. And so he takes us into the storm. He allows us to go into the storm so that we will realize without him, we are crushed. Without him, we are defeated but then our God is the one who turns that defeat into victory. God is the one who uses our wreck as an opportunity to rescue us when we cry out to him. And through that rescue, he restores, he redeems, and he renews us back to him for our good and ultimately for his glory. That's the heart of our God. That's the heart, that's who he is. This God of justice and this God who cannot be in the presence of sin and cannot tolerate sin, but a God that is kind and, 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 and gracious and full of mercy and a God of restoration. Let's keep going. Verse 11 and 12. How many, I'm sorry, I'm getting too excited. Now many nations are assembled against you. Talking to Israel. Many nations are assembled against you, saying, let her be defiled. Let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. God is saying here when you go into exile, all the nations are going to delight in your destruction. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like there was somebody in your life that was just applauding your demise? Bad things happen to you, things go wrong, and there's somebody just in the shadows that's applauding the fact that you're struggling. That's what Micah says is gonna happen to the nation of Israel. There's gonna be those who delight in your destruction, they're gonna love the thought that you've been defeated, they're gonna gloat, they're gonna cheer, and they're going to applaud, and they're gonna feel like you've been absolutely crushed. But then God says, hey, they don't know my plan. They don't know my thoughts. It's the same thing echoed in the book of Isaiah 55. Uh, My thoughts are not like your thoughts, the Lord says. My ways are beyond what you can comprehend. You see, we can't fully know the thoughts of God. His thoughts are too high, too lofty. His thoughts are nothing like ours. And many times, when we find ourselves in a storm, or we find ourselves in the midst of devastation, you know what the question is that we most often ask? Why? Why why is this happening? Why why do I feel defeated? Why are my enemies laughing at me? Why is it just one thing right after another? Why does it just keep piling up? God, why are you doing this? But as we've said before, a much better question to ask rather than why is what? Lord, what, what do you want me to learn here? What are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to become? You see, that's a completely different question for a completely different purpose. God says, your enemies, Israel, have a plan. To you today, he may be saying, your spiritual enemy has a plan. A plan to steal and kill and destroy, to crush you so that you feel absolutely defeated. But God also says, they don't understand. Your enemy doesn't understand that his rebellious plan is just a part of my greater plan for you. I will use what was meant for harm and I will use it for your good and for my glory. In this world, It may seem like it's out of control. Your world may seem like it's out of control. But listen, it's really just marching to the orders of our sovereign and powerful God. The evil plans of our enemy will only be used for the wonderful plans of our heavenly father. He works all things together for good. And then our last verse for the day. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. This is a declaration of victory, by the way. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron. I will make your hoofs bronze. You will beat in pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. So this final verse of chapter four, again, is a declaration of God's coming future and final victory. He says, right now, Israel, it looks like defeat. It feels like defeat. It looks like you've been defeated. It looks like your God has been defeated. But that's okay. Because they don't know my plan. God says they don't understand what I'm I'm about to do. They don't understand what I'm doing. I, when I overcome your enemies, when I defeat those who defeated you, and when I restore you back to your place of honor because you have cried out and I have heard your cries and I have seen your repentance, then the whole, world, the whole earth will know that you are my people and that I am your God and you are walking with your Lord. One thing that we need to remember about our God, he, he is just fine. Our God is just fine with the appearance that he's been defeated. Now let me just sit, let me let that just sit there for a second. Our God is okay with the appearance that he's been defeated. Isn't that what happened on the cross? Didn't for a moment it look like God had been defeated? Didn't it look like that Jesus, the so-called Messiah, was dead once and for all? As the disciples scattered and had many of his followers ran in fear, did it look like death had won? It did. But God had a bigger plan than death. God had a, a better plan than sin. God's plan was resurrection. His plan was redemption. His plan was the once and for all defeat of death and sin. And so here's what you need to remember. Whatever situation you're going through, whatever whatever devastation you feel that you're facing, no matter how much it feels like we're losing in this world, in Christ we win. No matter how much it feels like we're losing in this world, in Christ we win. You see, we don't fight against flesh and blood in this world. We fight against... Powers and darkness and principalities of this world. But because Christ came to defeat them, we have this guaranteed victory through Jesus. That every stronghold, every addiction, every sin, every enemy we face in this world and not of this world has already been defeated through Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. That's why you don't have to live in bondage to sin. That's why you don't have to live like slaves. Because in Christ, we win. We have the victory. Every promise through Jesus Christ is yes and amen. You see, we've been reading about Israel's coming salvation. This is part of Israel's salvation story. But that story has now become our salvation story. Israel's savior is our savior. The one who came, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who died on the cross, was laid in a borrowed tomb, but was raised to new life to restore all that had been lost, to restore our relationship to the heavenly father. Jesus's victory has now been applied to us, has become our victory. Our God is the one who turns our devastation into restoration.